You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, that's Deep Bro. Got a big one for you. I have a phone call uh, from a Mormon girl who wrote in about hating her competitive family. And of course, I wanted to know about the magic underwear and all the other stuff. How do you, how do you get out of a, a family that you don't feel like you're a part of? Okay, so that's, that's that. And then now I finally can announce... Uh, the thing I've wanted to announce forever, the taping of my special, and it is occurring June 24th in Seattle uh, at the Showbox Theater, and tickets, the links uh, for free tickets, you can see it for freezy, are on thousandranch.com. So scoop those up. If you're in the Seattle area, I would love, love, love for you to come see me tape the special. There's two shows, 7 and 9.30. Um, and yeah, I would love to pack it full of, of bros, of mommies, of people who, uh, who get it. You get it, man. Okay. But I have a couple of dates leading up to it. I'm doing Denver comedy works June 1st through 3rd and then June 16th and 17th, San Francisco at the punchline. And then the last time I run it is June 22nd at Flappers comedy club in the YooHoo room. I'm just going to do a small little thing, kind of, uh, the, the show before the show, the last chance show. Um, so yeah, tickets, thousandranch.com. Very good. Thank you very much. Thanks for everybody who's come out to see me already. It's super, super awesome. Um, okay. Other business, Amazon, uh, please use my banner. Uh, that's the podcast.com. When you do your shopping at Amazon, just click on the banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. It helps just kick back some change the show. All right, that's it. Let's get to it.
silly. <laughs> All right, welcome to That's Deep, bro. Um, I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. Thank you for watching me on YouTube. Um, I was just listening to, that was Moon Unit Zappa, Frank Zappa's daughter. And if you don't know what a valley girl is, you got you to get your whole life. Because let me tell you something, Mama P grew up in the San Fernando Valley and for sure was a valley girl. Oh my God. Got me with a spoon. <laughs> and they actually had in 1982 a contest at the Sherman Oaks Galleria, which is where Fast Times at Ridgemont High was filmed. It, I think the Sherman Oaks Galleria was ground zero for all us valley girls. I grew up um, in the Galleria. I, I was there every single weekend. That's where I smoked cigarettes at the food court at Hot Dog on a Stick. That's where we played video games. It's like, you know, you shoplifted Magic 8 Balls from Spencer's Gifts. <laughs> That's what you did. And um, it got me into it. And so they had a contest in that mall in the 80s to see who uh, the real Valley Girl was. And it was all these cute, you know, teenage girls doing their best moon zappa impressions uh, trying to be crowned the queen of the valley it was so awesome it was so good you know on the one hand you look at it and you're like oh boy you know this is the beginning of the decline of uh western civilization this is this is where it started right this is where vocal fry began this is this is where the culture of paris hilton (laughs) and the kardashians started really when you think about it, uh, you know, the championing of the stupid, which uh, God knows we Americans, we love our dumb shit. If it, you know, if it's a monster truck rally, if it's uh, a fucking, um, well, a monster truck rally, you know, is it, is it stupid? We love it. I'm on board. And the Valley Girl was the dumbest thing. But Moon Zappa was so brilliant. She was 14 years old when she recorded that song with her dad. And she really, I mean, I imagine she was just looking around at the bimbo she hung out with <laughs> people at her school and was like, oh, you're a valley girl. Then they still exist, dude. And I still, I still talk like a valley girl. It does, it does crop up. Like when my husband sees me talking to my friends who I grew up with in the valley, we all automatically go into like, ah, oh, dude, bro, bro. Like we totally bro down hard. It's just, it's in you, man. Once, once you're from the Valley, you're always in the Valley. So there, and I guess I have to embrace that shit, right? You know, I think for the longest time I'm like, Oh, whatever. I'm not a Valley girl. And then you get older and you're like, really, it's not, it wasn't so bad. It's kind of fucking cool actually to, to be part of any cultural movement. (laughs) At least one, one cool thing happened, right? I mean, shit, at least it's something, at least it was something. And people, it was one song that came out and people really lost their minds for this Valley Girl shit. Like all over America, people were talking like uh, Valley Girls. It's very fucking weird. So there, um, there's that. And then, uh, man, did I have a fucking huge epiphany the other day? I was listening to. I've mentioned this guy's podcast before, and if you like my show, I really, really think you will enjoy Paul Gilmartin's show, The Mental Illness Happy Hour. Uh, fantastic. He's a comic as well, um, and such a, such a wonderfully articulate, sensitive guy. Uh, I did an episode on his show where I talked about my mom and our, you know, growing up with a, with a borderline mom. So I just listened to this episode number 330 called Codependency and Boundaries with Dr. Natalie Feinblatt. 
And man, this episode just blew me away. I I recommend it to anybody who's who's remotely interested in in those two things, codependency and boundaries. And it's also she also discusses the difference in therapists and what how they're credentialed and what they do. I know a lot of you have questions like, well, what kind? I know you want me to get my life, but what kind of therapist do I need to get my life with? And she breaks it down for you, the levels of education that correspond to, you know, different types of shrinks. It's fucking, uh, it really blew my mind, dude. Um, I think I'll specifically, one thing that really blew me away in reading, I also have been reading books that she recommends in this episode. Uh, shit, I'll tell you right now which one I'm reading. And I haven't gotten too far, so I really don't want to get too deep on it. But, oh, The Drama of the Gifted Child. And and I've heard of that book before, and I was always like, what? I'm not gifted. I don't need to read about that nonsense. Doesn't apply to me. <laughs> Certainly not gifted. But I think the she says, Dr., the doctor that... Um, sorry, whatever therapist that's being interviewed by Paul, she says that that, that's actually a poor translation because it's originally a German book. And I I think what she means by gifted, I'm not certain, but it's because when you are raised by people who constantly overstep your boundaries and who aren't, who, you know, constantly don't allow you to have feelings, you become really attuned to the adult's feelings. And you become really, really gifted at... uh, predicting other people's behavior you you're very much attuned to um to other people's needs and feelings and thoughts uh because that's how you were raised and that's a real that's a real fuck when you become an adult and you have children and that's the real scary part when you have a kid is you're like oh no i don't want to do this to my kid i don't want this to happen so you really want to i i really want to Main, uh, be conscious of what i'm doing and and all of these things but what really blew me away there's two things um, is that the importance of feelings, man. So in therapy, the reason, the reason I, I always say, get your life, get into therapy, get your life, get into therapy. And it's annoying for me to tell you that I know that. And I, I get it. But I, the reason that that's really the mantra of this show and the purpose of this show is, uh, a to, I, I think recognize feelings in another person, a stranger. You don't know, you don't really, you know, you know me from the show, but, uh, a person, I share my weird shit with you, and I hope that some part of you recognize some part of me and you, because we're all the fucking same, really. I mean, we're human beings. There's not a lot of varied experiences, or there's not a lot of shit that I'm going to experience that you haven't, and vice versa, truly. So I believe in sharing the stuff that it, it'll help somebody else, and that's fantastic. Uh, but number two, the importance of therapy is to talk about feelings. Now, I fucking, I don't, I don't like feelings. Um, Hey, that's why I'm a comic because I fucking don't ugh, see, how, see how uncomfortable I am. Just even, ugh, I'm, I'm wiggling around in my chair if you can't see me. Um, and, hey, and the reason I'm so afraid of feelings is because, you know, when you're a little kid and you have parents who don't maybe like feelings either for whatever reason. So my mother, was, as we all know, is mentally ill and uh, they don't, there's not a lot of space in her life to be uh, open to my feelings, right? So parents who don't get enough nurturing and love or whatever the heck growing up, they have they can't give anything to their children because they're kind of empty. That's the, the thinking, right? If you grew up so deprived in your own upbringing, there's nothing inside of you to give. There's no love. There's no space for acknowledging and allowing 
um, a kid to have their own feelings and their own existence apart from you. So my mother, because of her whatever who she was, um, really saw me as an extension of her, right? Not an autonomous being with thoughts and feelings independent of hers. Excuse me. So she was very... There's a lot of intrusiveness, like just very intrusive into my physical being, into my emotional life, but also not allowing me to to have autonomy, to push back. And that's one thing that kids do, right? That's the whole point of having a parent and child relationship. Uh, and a lot of people don't have those relationships with their children. Instead, they expect the child to be the parent. And that causes a whole mess of problems. Um but yeah, as a parent, you know, the kid's supposed to uh, test your boundaries, test their boundaries with you, the ones that you've established as a responsible adult. And also within that realm, I've, from what I've learned, again, I am not a licensed therapist. I have absolutely zero qualifications if I mention that. I'm a stand-up comedian who's been in therapy for years, and I'm just telling you my life stories. It's just my uh, opinion on existence. Okay. Um so they're supposed to create a safe space against which you can defy them, right? Toddlers love testing boundaries because they're just learning about their feelings and their feelings are very overwhelming. If you've ever seen a two-year-old freak out and, and tantrum, and I know like I always get these um, weird emails like from whatever parenting.com and it's like toddler tantrums they're they're terrible too and you're like shut the fuck up the tantrums how to stop them in their tracks or whatever and it's like well yeah i know that's not it's not the most fun thing when your kid's crying and upset but i mean you have to understand that this is someone who has limited language capacity at least my son says a few words he can't really speak so he's he's you know in a foreign country as far as he's concerned a foreign language is being spoken he can understand some of it but he can't really tell you what's up and feelings are so new to them to little children that they're overwhelming and i get it he's tantruming out because he doesn't know what this feeling is it's he's raging right now um <laughs> so here's what i've learned healthy parents go allow space for that to occur right you don't just say stuff like shut up Stop crying. What you crying for? Mm, stop it. Knock it off or get mad or get angry, right? God, you're always doing this. God, stop the tantruming. Because what you're doing is in essence invalidating this person's right to have feelings. That's what, that's what you do early to a kid. And then they grow up learning that it's not okay for them to express feelings in front of you, actually, and, and in front of anyone, that they have to be accommodating to get love. They have to be pleasant to earn love and, um, they have to, you know, squelch all that stuff inside of them. Man, it's depressing to get, uh, to get mommy and daddy to be cool with them. So that's why you go to therapy uh, is to, well, for many reasons, but one to learn a, what feelings are. I mean, Honestly, I don't fucking, I don't think I really knew. Like I, I knew I had thoughts about things, theories, um, explanations, but I don't know about, I, I really had a hard time identifying, uh, feelings per se. So, but that's really, 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 really important as a human being to be able to have feelings. Right. And then, Oh God. And then, um, 
sometimes not act on them, most of the time not to have to act on them, but just to have them and allow them to come and go without judgment. Because that's what we do, right? You have a feeling, the feeling is uh, scary, bad, whatever. You don't want to feel bad. That's a big one in human existence is, uh, I feel depressed. I don't want to feel depressed. If I feel depressed, I'm going to feel sad. If I feel sad, it's going to spiral out of control and I might do something. I might do drugs. I used to do drugs and I don't want to go back there again or I'm, I... You know, I used to hit people or whatever the fucking thing is that, you know, the bad feelings lead to because that's how you dealt with your bad feelings in the past. So the whole thing is to go to the shrink to learn how to deal with feelings and you learn that they come and they go and it's not the end of the world and you're you're not going to crumble if you feel them. But because you were taught that maybe some of us, maybe there are real, real repercussions in your house for expressing your opinion, for expressing your feelings. Um, some children would, you know, get beaten. Some children get thrown out. Some children get, I don't know, harmed other ways, verbally abused. Um, and it's subtle too. It doesn't have to be overt, um, abuse. And I think that's another thing is people are like, well, you know, I, I know I feel fucked up, but I didn't have a a bad, a childhood as as you did, or so-and-so did, or my friend who was, you know, locked in a box and, uh, you know, fed scraps of food. <laughs> now that's abuse, but like, you know, you can't really compare. It's not about that. It's not, it's not a game of who had a more traumatic childhood. I, I don't think that's the point. Cause if you're suffering, you're suffering. It, I don't think it matters to what degree you, you know, you endured some form of abuse, but, but again, it can be way subtle. Uh, you know, um, in this podcast, Paul was talking about how in a lot of affluent families that the drive to be successful can squash feelings. So, and I fucking have heard this so many times. I've heard this and it makes my asshole pucker so hard when I'm talking to somebody and they're like, you know, I'm depressed. I don't know why I, I can't seem to hold a relationship together. I've, um, I'm miserable. I hate my job. And I go, well, what was your, uh, what was your childhood life? It's great. It was, no, it was fantastic. Um, mom and dad loved each other. Everybody's married. Everything's great. I don't know why I'm depressed. And uh, why I want to eat a tub of ice cream every night and uh, watch a marathon of friends uh, every weekend instead of go out. <laughs> like, and that's bullshit. And, 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 uh, and just because mom and dad didn't beat you or uh, mom and dad stayed together doesn't mean that that was necessarily a fantastic environment either. And I'm not blaming any parents. I'm not blaming. I'm just saying there's causes. And it can be as small as, hey, in our family, we don't cry in our family. Hey, we suck it up. We move, you know, we don't, um, we don't discuss X, Y, and Z because we're good Christians or we're good Mormons or we're good this and that. And that causes people to go, Oh, well, I, I can't talk about this. I feel bad. I, I can't have feelings. So that's a huge, huge reason to get your life into therapy is, is just for the fucking thing of feelings. And, and you can't shut down one part of your life. If you're thinking like, well, I can com- compartmentalize um, stuff you you I really can't. <laughs> it's very it's it's in, it's very insipid that way. What I found because I tried I really tried for years and years to not um, get help when I had mom issues that were really unconscious. I wouldn't even say like I wasn't refusing to get help. I just didn't even know I needed it. I just knew that I was really anxious all the time, really depressed. And that when my mother spoke to me or met with me or sent me a card or whatever, that my heart would just start racing and it felt horrible. I felt horrible. 
like I'd hang out, the, the phone would ring and my mom, <gasps> the anxiety would begin. And then I hang up with her and I would just start raging and just crying. And, you know, she would just key me up so hard. And I thought, oh, geez, this, this can't be normal. This can't be good, right? What do I do with my rings? Um, and then, okay, so here's another epiphany I had uh, this week. It's so fucking weird. I, uh, well, after listening to this podcast of Paul's episode 330, I, I started to realize, um, and actually no, this happened through an exchange I was, I was watching, I was observing an exchange, um, between my husband and somebody else. And my husband was very frustrated with this exchange with this person. And, you know, they've had the same exchange over and over in his life. And it occurred to me that this person that he was having an exchange with, that they're just seeing reality through their his own lens, let's say, right? That person's own reality. And so is my husband. My husband has his perception of this conversation and the other speaker has their perception of the conversation. And as an outsider, I go, well, yeah, I can see that, that nobody meant anything. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't meant to be a hurtful conversation, but my husband was, in fact, you know, hurt by what this person was saying to them and blah, blah, blah. And then I really, really, I had that moment of like being able to see everybody involved because I know both people really well that were having the conversation. And it occurred to me that uh, everybody's just having conversations with themselves in their own heads all the time, right? You see the world the way you've been programmed to see the world, you see the world through the lenses that you're given and the lenses that you've rewritten and the lenses that you've been therapized, therapisticized. Um, and that's really all you can see is what you allow yourself to see, which is really scary and weird because at the end of the day, you're not even having conversations with other people. You're just having one massive conversation with yourself, bro what? That's all it is. Like you ever have an exchange with somebody and, uh, and you're like, and you're just, you're so fired up about it, right? Like, uh, did you hear the way she fucking, uh, said that to me? I know what that means. That means that this and that and the other, and she said this way because of blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, you bring it to your shrink or whoever. And they're like, well, maybe that's just because you have, uh, an issue with X, Y, and Z. And, Meaning that you've got your own set of stuff that you walk around with and then someone says something that upsets you because it triggers some shit in your past and has nothing to do with the present and you're just living out the past over and over and over with different players in your present. (laughs) Oh God. And the level to which you can actually understand something outside of your own mind really depends on how well, you've processed your past, meaning you're not in the constant trauma of what's happened, what's happened, what's happened, but you're actually able to move past what's happened and live in the actual reality of the present and to be able to see somebody else's perspective, which takes a lot for human beings. You know, I I have a friend who uh, has a really a lot of fear around giving presentations at work, which most people do because it's terrifying to speak in front of people. It takes many, it took me many years to 
be able to beat down that part of me, <laughs> that natural part of me that wants self-preservation, right? Because it's it's normal to not want to talk in front of people because it's potentially very embarrassing, disastrous. You could be ostracized, fired, set on fire, whatever. So I had a friend who had to give these weekly presentations at this job she had, and she's like, oh my God, I I, I get so nervous you know, I know Wednesday's coming and that's when I have to, they go in a circle at the table and I have to give my presentation and I am so nervous. I'm a wreck the night before. I just, I hate speaking in public. I'm just not this person. And I said something to her, I remember saying to her like, yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. And I go, but imagine that there's somebody else in the room and most people who are giving their presentations that day are feeling probably the exact same way as you. I mean, I there's very few people that are like, I love public speaking. It's my jam. I'm great at it. Very few people just love giving presentations at work. I mean, I remember when I took a public speaking class, which was a fucking nightmare too. Like this is in college. And I just remember, like I could see it. I could see whose turn it was to give a speech that day because you can you feel the anxiety a mile away from that the poor person whose turn it was. Oh my God. And anyway, so I, th- I had a thought when, when my friend was telling me this, that look, everyone else is just as afraid as you are. And actually imagine this, imagine that everybody's so in their own world and actually just thinking about their own thoughts and their own lives and their own dogs and cats and children and houses and whatever's that they're not really thinking about you. Right. And I don't mean that in a snarky, like nobody cares about anybody. Wait, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we're all living in our own little reality bubbles. And most of us consider the other person like the, I mean, I'm not talking about your loved ones. I consider my son and my husband constantly, constantly. And my dogs, of course, but uh, I'm talking about like, you know, the coworker, the average schmo you see on uh, Instagram, you really consider them very minimally. It's like seconds, right? I mean, I'm not talking about meaningful exchanges. I'm talking about you're watching a performer, you're watching a coworker give a presentation. And even if they ate shit, right? Even if the presentation was a disaster and embarrassing, most people are going to think about it for three minutes tops. And then the next day they're going to be like, oh my God, do you remember uh, Tracy's thing? Wait, what? Tracy gave a presentation. Oh yeah, it was very bad. Yeah. Anyway, what are we having for lunch? So you realize that the thing that's of big, big importance to you, most people could give a fuck about. And it's a huge relief. At the end of the day, it's a huge relief because you think about how much you get in your head about doing stuff, right? Like you, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, fellow, uh, I think he's Russian, but fellow Eastern Blocker. I love Gary V. He's all over Instagram. He's all over YouTube. Check him out. Um, he always talks about the, the big reason holding people back, the big thing that holds people back from doing stuff is the opinion of others, of, of the f- fear of judgment. And that is like, That is so huge. But when you think about it, what is that? Well, that's really just the conversation in your own head that you're having with yourself. Because really, at the end of the day, if they're not your family, if they're not people really close to you, who gives a fuck? 
And I, and I mean, I mean it and they don't really fucking care about you and you don't fucking care about, and even the people close to you who are discouraging you from doing something you really want to do, you have to consider their motivations as well. Uh, not always hundred percent genuine and great. So there, that was my big thing. Oh my God. And also, uh, it makes me fucking barf. Uh, these, I've seen so many, it's so funny. The self-help movement is so great. And I really, I do love, um, I love the secret, that video. I, I, I love all things self-help and, mo- and positive energy, blah. But there's also, uh, it's, it's turned a corner. It's really fucking jumped the shark now where every celebrity has um, a, li- a lifestyle brand extension. Um, <laughs> what is it? Is it Kate Hudson that she has that Fabletics? That's her brand of um, like Pilates and activewear. And it's fine. I, I bought some shit there. Actually, that's why I know about this. I bought something from Fabletics. It's in my uh, closet. And I looked at the bag today and I had to hold back the vomit that was about to come up. Cause it's, it was like the, it was a bag, you know, it says the brand name and then there's like a platitude on there, like a motivational bullshit platitude. And it was like, it, no, it wasn't like, it was exactly, it says, live your passion, just live your passion, live it, live your passion with this, you know, athletic wear that's really overpriced. And in my opinion, kind of not cool looking, you know? Uh, for whatever reason, whoever designs Pilates clothing is the biggest fucking nerd burglar on the planet. I don't like any of that shit. I mean, just put me in black on black on black because I don't like your fucking corny ass prints. I don't I don't want tiger crazy prints or fucking uh, hippie tie dye. I mean, I don't know. And if you're an older broad like me, you really want your fucking arms showing in a tank top. For most of us who exercise, we're not in Kate Hudson shape. You know what I'm saying? You want to conceal most of the flabbiest parts of your body until you look like Kate Hudson, if that ever is going to happen for you. And my genetic cards, not so much. But why don't they design a line of athletic wear for broads who don't fucking look like Kate Hudson? How about for those of us that have fat arms that want them covered or thighs that need to be minimized? You think I don't like walking around with my ass showing in, in, in athletic pants. It looks terrible. Fuck. It's devastating. But anyways, uh, live your passion. Live your passion. I mean, and I know that phrase is meaningful to somebody, but when you see that shit on a yoga pant bag and you're like, really, Kate Hudson, live your passion. Well, yeah, I imagine it's pretty easy to live your, just live it. Just live your passion. When your mom is like Goldie Hawn and your dad's Kurt Russell and you grew up with millions of dollars in Beverly Hills, it's pretty easy to live your passion when you don't have to really sweat and die for it, you know? Because that, that is my problem with these platitudes, these follow your dreams, just go for it. All this horseshit. Is that what the other side of that is that nobody tells you the actual work part (laughs) that goes into living your passion. Like, you know, for those of us that don't have, um, celebrity millionaire parents to just hand us funding for our passions, um, living your passion is really fucking challenging and often, um, soul sucking and difficult. And I really wish there was a line 
of of clothing with platitudes like hey sticking to your dreams really sucks you want a social life don't have dreams you want your 20s (laughs) just be a loser because you're gonna give up all that shit to be successful just so you know and nobody really tells you uh, that other side of the live your passion stuff is that guess what living your passion takes a lot of work a lot of work you know my friends were off going to vegas every weekend uh doing shots at the hard rock uh, i was here in la doing spots at the fucking bowling alley for free actually no i think i paid the bowling alley to do my spot it was like three dollars to buy a coke and then you get to do five minutes of stand-up so Live your passion, but only if you've got uh, an iron will, because (laughs) I don't know. We all ain't Kate Hudson. So enjoy the platitudes. But Gary Vaynerchuk does talk about that. Sorry, I should say I should credit Gary V because he does talk about if you want to be successful, you really do have to eat dirt and shit and enjoy it because that's really what it is. That's the truth of it. And no one wants to hear it. Um, that you just kind of, you kind of do, you have to really enjoy failure and eating shit because that's most of it. And I don't even mean that again, it's not a negative thing. It's just a fucking fact of life. I always tell my husband, like, and my husband's so, he's so successful. And I'm like, yeah, but people don't, they haven't seen the last 15 years leading up to today. You know, (laughs) people are like, it's it's silly. It takes a lot. It takes, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. It's like, well, I wish I wish people could have followed us for the last 15 years. I'm watching my dog uh, dig a tunnel into blankets. Is there anything cuter than that? When your dogs dig into blankets. Ah, oh, I fucking love these animals. God, I love you so much, people. I'd kiss your mouth, but your mouth smells like fish. Okay. Um, so let's get into it. I, I got this email this morning, which I thought was so amusing. And really struck a chord with me. Oh, but we have to do our theme song. Let's do our theme song. Hold on. Meow, 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 meow. You want to know why you're all fucked up? Okay. Um, hi, Christina. Uh, here's a thought. Swimming. Most of the moms I've met say swimming is important. Billy Bob and Peggy Sue have no choice. They need to learn to swim. It's a basic life skill. My son had a fear of water when he was young, and I remember feeling like such a failure because I couldn't get him in the pool. I would pay for for lessons, and he would just scream and claw himself to me. I even brought him to the doctor. The doctor just said, don't bring him swimming. I had to laugh. So I waited and would try from time to time. He did finally go to swimming lessons, but never really enjoyed them. He likes free swim, but I think he'll just never be a great swimmer. The shallow end might be his destiny, and I'm fine with that. Is swimming a basic life skill? From what I've read, most people that drown were good swimmers. And how high is the risk of falling in a pool slash lake slash river slash ocean by accident? I'm sick of the mommies that are full of advice. Every kid is different, and maybe you should just let the kid explore their likes and dislikes on their own. Yes to exposing them to many different things and see what they like. I would like to say to all mommies that give me the hairy eyeballs when I say that my son can't really swim, get your life. And that was from Nadine. Yeah, dude. Girl, I agree with you. I mean... I, look, my son's only 17 months old, so I'm at the beginning of the marathon that is parenting. But I don't know what it is. I don't know why. Um, but it seems like our culture is obsessed with children reaching certain 
um, developmental marks by a certain age? Is he, is he walking yet? Is he talking yet? Is he swimming yet? Is he, what grade is he in? Is he in the, and, 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 and um, there seems to be an obsession with, with hitting milestones at a certain time, as opposed to like, you know what? Um, my kid's not talking right now or walking right now, but I guarantee you, um, he's not going to be a mute crippled person at 40. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, he's not toilet trained at 17 months, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to be wearing a diaper at 35. So they'll figure it out they They'll figure it out. And I, I know you're talking about this incessant, I, I'm facing the preschool thing now of like, like are you researching the preschool? Like he's 17 months old. <laughs> when are you going to put him in preschool? What kind of preschool? Is it a Montessori? Because they, they do free learning where he's going to learn to read at the age of two. Like I don't, is that, is that really good? Is that really necessary that he learned to do something uh, before it's expected of him? Is What's the fucking value, by the way, of a kid uh, doing something prematurely or whatever, uh, who cares? Who fucking, it doesn't make you any better in life. It really doesn't. Um, I, I don't know. The obsession with milestones is like, oh my God, uh, who fucking cares? And here's the thing. I mean, everybody has strengths and, and their weaknesses. And in life, it's like not everybody's, not, and, and not everyone's great at everything. That's just a fact. So you take what you're good at and you just keep fucking doing that and what you suck at, don't do it. That's it. Don't do it. And you don't have to do it. If he doesn't want to swim, don't fucking make the kid swim. Don't force him to do something he's terrified of. Maybe he doesn't like it. Then he doesn't fucking like it. Good. You know, then keep him away from the fucking pool. If you have a pool, make sure there's a fence around it. Um, yeah, you just focus on what you're great at in life. And I look, I was bad at math my whole life, but guess what? I'm not a mathematician. I just hire great accountants. <laughs> yeah, pay someone to do that shit for me. Um, you know, you just work around the things you suck at. That's just how life works. And and so many people focus on what they suck at and trying to make that better. Like, no, 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 no. You don't get it, boo boo. Just go with what your go where the strengths are and and the weaknesses. Just don't even. Don't go there. I, you know, I'm never going to be good at math, so I don't care. I don't want to be. I, that, that's for next lifetime. Now, here's the thing. I, I will say this, Nadine. Yeah, don't force him to do something that makes him cry and claw his way to you. I know the people are pushing me about preschool, but if my if I drop my kid off and he's crying the whole time, like I don't think I can leave him there even though I'm supposed to. I don't know. Uh here, here's the one thing, Nadine, I would say, is that for me, just from uh, swimming has been one of the greatest pleasures of my life. And um, I love swimming in the ocean. I, I enjoy a pool, a jacuzzi, whatever. It's just a joyful thing for me. And, you know, I think you should, I think as parents, I mean, look, I'm not a fucking parenting expert, but I do think of stuff in terms of life quality. Like, is this going to be something that he might enjoy? And hey, if it gets to that age, where it is something, then then fucking do it then. And and also it might be something that as when he gets older and sees his friends doing, then maybe he won't be as scared of trying it when he sees like his classmates at pool parties and he's gonna want to do it. I remember I had a friend, um, this girl Brandy, who I went to like uh first and second grade with, and she was terrified of swimming actually, and I loved to swim. And she would come over to my house in the summertime 
And this is the craziest part. Now looking back, we were about seven or eight years old. She would come to my house. We were unsupervised in the pool all day, all day. I mean, my grandmother was there, but she was indoors. It's not like she was watching us (laughs) at all. And I remember Brandy was afraid of swimming, but because I was swimming, I think she felt like, oh, uh, then surely this has to be okay. And, you know, we, we taught her how to swim. Both of us, Brandy and I figured out yeah, what worked for her. And like, I, yeah, taught this girl how to swim when I was eight years old, unsupervised. Uh, just crazy now thinking about it, but who knows? Maybe, maybe later in life he'll want it, but yeah, don't fucking force anything on the kid. I tell you, uh, my son goes to these retarded, uh, like baby school classes where they, they try to tell you that everything they're doing is stimulating their frontal lobes and developing their fine motor skills, blah, blah, blah. This next exercise, we're going to teach them, this is going to refine their motor skills and it's going to form electrons in their brain that are going to make them geniuses. And they go, oh, really? Because it looks like we're just handing out balloons and they're bopping balloons with their heads. That's what that looks like. Uh, and that, that is what it is. You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to dress it up like it's some special thing. But my kid, which I I love when he does this, by the way. So at the end of class, they give these stupid stickers back to the teacher. Like it's that they've completed the thing, whatever task. And then the teacher makes them sit down in a line to finish the class. And my kid never wants to sit. (laughs) And it's such a source of pride for me because he fucking did what he was told to do. He gave you back the key and he's like, yeah, now what, bitch? I'll sit when I want to fucking sit. And I, and I encourage it. I do. I encourage a little antisocial behavior, you know, you don't have to just follow authority blindly. Fuck that. You know, adults don't know everything. Uh, that is for sure. They do not know everything. So yeah, there you go. I agree, uh, Nadine, that there is a, such a weird push to get kids to do everything all the time and on a special timeline, which is so fucking stupid. Okay. Wait, hold on. I had another great email for you guys. I'm so fucking retarded. It's slow today. Okay. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Hold on. Let me pause this, mommies. One minute, please, while I search for this. It's so boring. To... Okay, sorry. I don't, I don't. It's so boring to listen to me search for a fucking email. Okay. Uh, this next one is from Chloe. Hi, mommy. Um, okay, question. I'm a woman... She, her. Oh, those are your pronouns. Thank you for specifying. I didn't want to be in Santana. I'm a woman in a committed relationship with a man, he, him, who is hands down the most gentlemanly dude, sincere, kind, respectful towards women and animals, all that. The problem is that our sex life is fucking abysmal. We don't have compatible stanimas or desires. And it's getting to the point where I don't feel sexy with him anymore. I'm worried I may be tempted to cheat just out of pure sexual frustration. I am desperate to get this part of our relationship on track. But when I bring up anything sexual, it always comes back to him saying he doesn't satisfy me. I don't want to hurt his ego, but I do want to have the issue addressed. What's a girl to do? Oi, 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 Chloe. Okay, Chloe. So firstly... Um, sex in our culture is made up into this big thing that there's a lot of guilt. Bitsy agrees. Schnitzel, what is it? What is it? What are you guys barking at? Sorry. Press pause. 
All right. Crisis. I don't know what it was. They're working. Um, it, sex is made into this big, shameful, weird thing. And really, truly, it's just a basic human need, like eating, shitting, uh, the need for shelter, the need for love. It's it's really a physical necessity need. So, uh, it, that. but the reason that there's so much shame around it is because our culture makes it out to be the end-all, be-all. Um, and they really fetishize it and uh, sell it. They use it to sell stuff. So they take a basic human need and wrap it up in a lot of shame. And so does religion. Puts a lot of shame and weird shit on it. Um, so let's start there. It's a, it's a human need. It's not optional. It's, um, some people have higher drives than others. There's that aspect of it. And I have to say in a long-term relationship that it is really important to have those needs met. And if you're, if you're at one level and he's at another, that's a problem. Now, both of you are just like, nah, we don't care. Just want to be buddies and bro down. Fine. But if one of you is up here and the other one's over here, that's a recipe for disaster. And you're, you're already talking about uh, cheating and the, 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 you know, the thought of cheating. So I, yeah, I would suggest though, before just breaking up with a guy is to have a really frank discussion with him. I think women, unfortunately, young women, uh, when we're in our twenties, we have a really hard time asserting our needs with people out of just fear of uh, sounding bitchy or, or complicated or whatever. So try having a really frank discussion with him, you know, cause women communicate in, uh, like they use soft language, they use indirect language. Um, and what I found is that I, uh, I hate that. Like I really fucking hate that. I, I have to be very direct and men really, really respond to direct language. So, uh, you need to tell him, for instance, the frequency with which you would like it to happen, uh, what kind of stuff you'd like to go down when you guys are doing stuff, how to do it, where, when, why, like really be explicit with dudes. Like I'm telling you, I mean, I'll send my husband to the grocery store and just be like, can you pick up some chicken? Uh, I want to make chicken drumsticks pick up some apples and pick up some rice. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many fucking questions I get back from him. Well, what kind of chicken legs? What kind of chicken drumsticks? Did you want the organic kind, the skinless kind, the kosher kind and apples? Which kind of apple did you want? There's green apples. There's Braeburn. There's a pink lady. There's the envy. Uh, and then rice brown or white instant non And like, I mean, Look, if you gave that same list to a woman, she'd be like, here's what you're getting. This is why, because it fucking works. And we know, like we just, we're way more intuitive. Men are not that way. Uh, You've got to tell them explicitly what you would like to happen and when and how and where and why and blah, 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 blah. I swear to God, that simple fact would probably save women a lot of frustration in their relationships, period. You have to talk to dudes like you, you know, like, uh, like a computer. Like, you know, when you talk to computers, you kind of, you have to speak their language, right? You can't be subtle or you have to type shit in the way the computer understands it to get the response you need. Like there's just rules to how you deal with a computer. Same with dudes. They don't understand subtleties. They don't understand hints. Fuck a hint with a dude. 
Don't even try to, that's girl language. Okay. That's how women communicate with other women. They don't understand that shit at all. Oh my God. I know it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, that's just the truth. That's just how it is, mommy. Uh, and if you can't get what you need that way, I would suggest taking a break and dating other people. I just think it's, it is that important. It it is not to be taken lightly. It's not, it's, it's a need, dude. It's, (laughs) there's nothing. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a slut or whatever that, that stuff's, that's a religious thing, by the way. That's just to make shaming women into being monogamous and pumping out children to pass on property. It's fucking stupid. Uh, that being said, I ironically don't condone promiscuity only because I think it's gross. I just think it's gross to allow countless uh, men to ejaculate inside of you who don't show you respect. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to play a conversation I had with my friend Jenna. So Jenna emailed into the show a while back about her Mormon upbringing um, and how, yes, she was raised, you know, a pretty fundamental, fundamentalist Mormon, I guess you would say, strict, strict upbringing, no coffee, no alcohol, no joy, no fun, right? And they played a lot of games growing up. I don't know if you remember this email. And she grew up hating games, board games even, and she hates being competitive. And so I answered her email on the show and I spoke with her via Skype about what it was like growing up Mormon. And also what I really, really thought was interesting in this conversation you're about to hear is how she kind of, you know, awakened to the thought of like, Hey, maybe I don't fit into this family. Maybe the situation isn't right for me. I don't necessarily like these people that have raised me. What do I do now? How do I get out of this? And then how do I maintain kind of contact with people that I don't feel great around? And how do I build a life? And how do I get out of guilt and shame and all that stuff? So I'm going to play that for you. And I hope that helps you guys in your lives. Get your lives, get your lives, get your lives. Okay, guys, here it is. My conversation with Jenna. Enjoy. Okay, so on the phone with me, I have Jenna, who was an emailer, um, and she wrote in saying that she was raised Mormon. And I thought, uh, what an interesting life. And I'm sure many of us, I didn't grow up around Mormon people, and I'd love to hear more about it. So hi, Jenna. Thank you for talking to us today. Hi. (laughs) Hi. So you're hiding in your car uh, during work, which is what most people do to do the show. Hilarious. And... So what's your story? So you, you live in, you're from Utah and the folks are Mormon and, and well, this is the world you were born into. Yeah, um, kind of. So originally I'm actually um, from Mexico. I've lived in the U.S. most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of ended up back in Utah because that's where my mom's from. And I have a lot of family here and school is super cheap. And that's a huge, it was a huge draw. Um, it's definitely... You know, growing up Mormon is one thing, and then, you know, because at least previously I didn't, not all of my friends or the people I knew were Mormon, and so, you know, it was just weird um, you know, oh, seeing so what I had and what other people had. So um, you... you on the flip side... Oh, yeah, sorry. So, so you started <laughs> off not Mormon, is that what you're saying, and then you became your family? Um, no. Oh, my, oh. my family... Um, unfortunately is both sides of them are very, very strict. I would call it orthodox for lack of a better word, um, Mm. Mormon. Um, my dad's side of the family is actually a very, um, 
very common Mormon last name um, because it one of the guys was a you know polygamist back when all of this started. Um, I I looked it up online on Ancestry.com and his descendants alone are an estimated thirty to fifty thousand. Just you know when you have fourteen wives, it kind of <laughs> end up with sure. That's, so much it's a, it's a good way. It's a good way to to, to yeah. start a religion. I mean, actually, the polygamy thing. I know a lot of people get really hung up about, especially you know, like us Christian Catholics, whatever. But uh, it's actually a really great way to raise kids. Like, I kind of wish I had a few sister wives, <laughs> and it's a great way to start a religion. <laughs> Spread it. Yeah, a great way to start a religion. I don't know about quality of life uh, for right. females. I'm no. sure for the guys, it's nice. Yeah, um, but. Um, although Mormons don't practice that, um, really anymore, it's, it's been the last hundred years or so that that's changed. However, they still do in their, in their temple ceremonies, when you get married, um, you get sealed to your, your wife or husband or whatever, and the guys can be married, um, as many times to as many people in the temple ceremony. Oh my God. Um, so in the afterlife, they can have... 100 wives, or like Joseph Smith, he had, I think, uh, an estimated 50 wives. Um, you know, but the women, it's absolutely, you know, to, yeah. to get resealed to someone else, they have to get all kinds of special permission and they have to annul that initial sealing um, oh. because women and men are not equal in this religion. No. <laughs> Most religions, I would argue, I'm not sure there is a religion where everybody's equal. Uh, but so the temple, I mean, that sounds, okay, so rituals in the temple, what goes on there? Let's talk about those. Those are super, super secret, right? I, yeah, I don't know that much about it. Um, you have to, there's a few things that go into just being able to enter the temple once it's, um, once it's, um, I'm forgetting the word, but set apart, basically. Um, when you're 12 years old, they, um, if you're baptized and once you're 12 years old, you can do what it's called baptisms for the dead, um, which thinking about it now as an oh, adult is super weird and super creepy. Um, Mormons do a lot of genealogy, which mm-hmm. is a great thing in that aspect, but their reasoning behind doing it is so that they can go back and baptize these people that have lived um, into their religion now because they're saying, oh, well, the, this is the only way that you can get into heaven is if you're baptized right. in our religion. And so they do all this genealogy, and then you you act as, um, I don't know, you act as that person, and they'll read the name, and, um, you know, you're in this tub of water with some man that you may not know. Wow. <laughs> um, they say a prayer in that person's name, and they dunk you, and they'll do... You know, that's like a, a youth activity they do. They take all the, you know, teenagers and go have them be baptized right. for these different people. And females wow. can only be baptized for females and guys for guys. And so that's it's kind of weird. And I think it's part of their thing that they use to pad their numbers for, yes. you know, the estimated how many people they have. It's wow. not real because they're including, you know, Kurt Cobain, who's, you know, been dead for <laughs> almost 20 years and obviously did not ask for this. He doesn't believe it, you know, didn't believe right. in this. So why, you know, it's, it's really weird. Um, but then after that, you're not allowed to go in other parts of the temple until you're endowed. Um, and I've never done that. What is an um, endowed meaning? A, um, I don't know all that goes into it. You have to get a temple recommend, which is the most awkward, um, situation of your life, especially, 
I did it once when I was 12, you know, kind of forced into it and you're, they interrogate you, you know, have you, have you kept the word of wisdom, which is, you know, abstaining from coffee and tea and tobacco. Whoa, what? Wait, uh, what? I didn't know that. You can't even have coffee uh, or tea or tobacco. I'm sure no alcohol, right? It's the devil, Christina. No. (laughs) Um, No. How do you guys have fun? There's no fun. Well, they, they don't, they just play games, which is like, which is why you were super competitive stuff. Cringe. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it so much. You know, that was something like to me, the smell of coffee is the most amazing thing in the world. Of course. Being told, you know, from the time I was little, like, you can't do that. That's bad. That's sinners drink. And, (laughs) um, you know, that never sat well with me. Um, but anyway, that, that's part of it. And then they also, you know, have you, um, uh, are you clean? Are you pure? And when you ask him, like one time the guy, I was like, I don't get what your, you know, 12 year old brain, super clueless. I, I was like, I don't get what you're asking. He's like, have you had sex before? <laughs> you know, oh to be a 12 year old alone in a room with a 60 year old man that no. you don't know is that's, that's really creepy actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and then if you don't pay your tithing, you can't, you can't get a temple recommend. Um, and, and that kind of thing. There's a, a lot of little things that go into it. Do you dress appropriately? Are you tattooed? Um, or have you recently been tattooed or pierced in anywhere besides your ear? Cause that's not allowed either. Um, those types of questions. And then if you, you know, you pass all of that, then you can go through those temple endowments where you get the, the magical underwear, the garment, yes. and then you're yes. supposed to, Wait. Tell us um, about the underwear. Wait, don't just go. I've been oh. wondering about the underwear for, for, and I, one time I met a Mormon guy and I was like, tell me about the magic underwear. And he was so offended and angry at me. Um, I'm dying to know, tell everybody what the magic underwear is, please. Um, so I, I only get it to a certain extent. Cause again, I haven't gone through the temple, but it's, it's something, it's an extra sense of protection and it's helping you, you know, from physical harm and mental harm, um, spiritual harm, protecting you from evils of the world. And there's all these Mormon folklore stories of, oh, well, you know, she got in this house fire and she came out burned everywhere except for where the garments were. (laughs) And the garments are, um, you know, a little below the collarbone on on women. And then it's a cap sleeve um, and it's a, a shirt you wear on top of your body, you have to wear your bra over it um, <laughs> what? for some reason. And then you don't wear underwear. The bottoms are just like um, above your, a little bit above your knee. Um, and then they're usually like really high waisted ones, just super granny panties <laughs> times 100. Um, it cannot be comfortable, especially in places like Phoenix. No. I it sounds really no. awful. Um, and then the guys is pretty similar. They just have like a t-shirt under it and then it's the same thing to the, right above the knee. Um, and, and you know, that's their mental and physical spiritual protection. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also helps with, um, for women specifically guidelines for what you can wear because you're not supposed to have other people see your garments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to go to the gym, you should probably change in a private fitting room because other people aren't supposed to be seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird. It's interesting. I don't understand it. Um, and then anyway, so back to the kind of the temple thing, once you're endowed, then you can do things, um, like the ceiling. Um, I have four siblings that have all, they're all still Mormon. They've all been married in a temple. 
Um, but you are not allowed to go in there, even if it's for a wedding, um, unless you have a temple recommend and you're endowed. So I, I wasn't able to go to my siblings' weddings um, or any of my cousins, for that matter. Um, I only have a couple that, that aren't Mormon. And so that's kind of, you know, weird. Um, Wait, so what's your relationship really... with the church now? Like, so just so you're raised in this system, and then what's your relationship now? Now is, you know, for a really long time, I had so much disdain and spite and resentment towards it because it just was so, it's just so controlling and so sexist and just, it blows my mind that such intelligent people think like that. Mm. Um, But as an adult, you know, I'm really, there are positive things to it. There are a lot of really good people that genuinely are trying to be the best self they can be and for them, that's what works and, you know, good, good for them. Um, so I'm just, you know, I want to respect it and respect the people that truly do follow through with what they say they're doing. Um, but you know, it is, it is pretty silly and there's a lot of, uh, plot holes in the whole religion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, um, I'd argue that most religion, cause I was reading about it online before I got on the phone with you and you know, Mormonism, if you read the what it's about, it's it's not that it's not any wackier than Catholicism or Christianity or, or anything I've been raised around, you know. It's it's all it's all the same shit, different toilet, you know, just different players yeah. um wanting to control you for whatever reason. So so let's talk about the the emotional side of growing up. So how many brothers and sisters do you have? Um so I have three older brothers and then a younger sister. Okay. And you were raised in this really, really strict upbringing. And so you knew kids that weren't Mormon. So like you knew that there were things like, you know, soda pop and cartoons and stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I, I grew up in, um, mostly lived in Texas. And so there was a lot of Catholic um, influence and my parents um, put me, instead of going in public school, I was in a Methodist Christian school for forever, basically, um, a couple different ones. And then I went to a Catholic school at some point. And so a lot of different Christian, um, but with that, a lot of those schools, it still was like the crazy farthest end of the spectrum, um, religious over the top nuts people. Um, so, you know, I did see other things and it would always blew my mind. Like, Oh my God, your mom drinks coffee. Are you (laughs) Are you for real right now? Like, or wait, I can. You're gonna let me have some Pepsi? What? Did I do that? That's so not allowed in my house. Um, right. You know, but for the most part, my parents really did try to keep. You know, and I can see it. I, see, I can see why they did it now. Um, but for the most part, they really did try to keep anyone in my life or any one of my friends to be at least super Christian. Um, because in, in their mind, you know, in my mom's mind, it's, well, how are you going to have morals? If, if you don't have a God, how are you going to hold more? How are you going to have morals? It's, it's it's impossible, you know? Yeah. Um, weird. (laughs) Well, you know what? That's a, it's, it's also in some weird philosophical ways, a compelling argument because, uh, as, as you know, I've said a million times, I studied philosophy. That's the biggest thing in philosophy is like, well, how do you have a code by which humans can abide by if it's not like a religious thing? It's like, how do we all agree on what's 
good basically and how to act. I mean, I'm not saying I need it personally. I think I'm a good person <laughs> without it, but like, how do you do it as a society? I mean, anyway, that's a whole other story. So you, yeah. what, how old are you when you leave home? Um, I moved out when I was 16 Good. and I go <laughs> an exchange program okay. uh, and I lived in Finland for a year. What? Oh my God. Did that blow your mind? Thing. It, it really did. I, I, you know, I've lived kind of all over and it, before I was living in Mexico with my parents and in, in high school. And so I moved from, you know, that warm, inviting, chatty, super fun culture to Finland, which is, <laughs> there's so many wonderful people, but they're so hard to break the ice and talk yeah. to them and, you know, get to know them. They have this saying there that if someone talks to you on the bus, they're either drunk or American because right. they just, they don't talk to you unless they know you really well. And so it, it was a reality check, but it really was exactly what I needed at the time. It got, I got some perspective on the world and what other things are like and, um, you know, other religions. Like I'd never heard of Lutheran before, you know, I, I never, there's not a lot of those in Texas or in Mexico for that matter. And so, you know, that, that was good to see. And then seeing there, like what, what it can be like without religion and that society still functions and people are still, and I would say actually Finland has one of the lowest um, religion rates in the world, um, practicing religion. And they are, like the most honest, so much integrity, yeah. just wonderful, wonderful people. Um, you know, so that was, it was really good. But let's um, talk about the drinking. But, yeah. the, let's talk about slotting it up for the first time and drinking and partying. Did you do any, <laughs> please tell me you did some of that while you were overseas, oh, please. Oh, yes. Okay, I, good. So at age like 12, I just was like, okay, fuck this. this no, it's not for me. <laughs> I'm sick of my mom telling me that I need to, I can't do the same things that my brother do does. And I need to stay home and cook dinner with her because how am I going to get a man otherwise? How am I going to prepare for my life when I'm an adult? If I'm not at home learning to cook with my mom, you know, yeah. silly things like that. Um, and so at that age, I just kind of checked out and started exploring other options. And then when I was 13, we moved to um, Monterey, Mexico, which I've been the same size, I look pretty much the exact same as when I was 13 and now I'm 26 now. Um, and I'm, you know, five, six in Mexico. That's monstrously tall. And I've been able to get into bars uh, since age 13, which is, you know, uh, kind of terrible as an adult. Now that I think thinking back, cause I really did kind of get my, put myself in potentially dangerous situations. And so I'm lucky that I was safe and all of those things that I, you know, are, twice a week, you know, or, you know, lie to my mom. Oh, I'm going to sleep at, you know, so-and-so's house and just go out and club all night Oh yeah, and just get shit faced, you know, oh, yeah. and it, how, how do parents was, not know that one, by the way, like I'm, I'm already prepared for that. I'm spending the night at someone's house thing. Like, give me a break, dude. That's how you get away with stuff as a teenager. how do they not know that trick? I think they, honestly, I think there was a lot of denial on yes. my mom's part. Cause yeah. there was definitely times that I like, just came home wasted. There's no way I didn't like just reek of booze, you know, or, you know, Oh, I only went to a concert, mom. It's fine. The bar is like sectioned off. I can't even get in there cause I'm not old enough, but that was a lie. It was yeah. a bar or shit face. Of course. And she, you know, I, she just, I don't know. I don't know how she, I think she just didn't want to 
believe it. And I, she's never been around alcohol ever in her life. Um, and so maybe she just didn't know at all. Well, let's talk about one thing, because I, I get a lot of emails from um, kids who were in extreme religious situations like yourself, which is why I wanted you on the show, because I a lot of people listening to the show are, are, were raised in you know different environments like this. And so how does one get out of it, and how do you deal with the guilt and the... I don't want to use the word shunning. That's in, the, <laughs> that's in that Amish TV show. But um, yeah, like how do you deal with the the kind of pressure of, of your family expecting you to kind of run with the program and, and you're not. I mean, it, it definitely took a lot. Um, I just, I was such a brat to my family growing up and I, you know, I got to a point that I would throw a temper tantrum if they were going to make me go to church because I knew, you know, like this is going to stop them from forcing me to go. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what I don't want to do. I think this is ridiculous. I, and again, you know, it was a lot of, you know, the sexism behind it and the woman's role in that religion, but then there's just straight up crazy things like that. It just, they just don't make sense to me. And so my mom would just push it on me more and push on me more. And we had just such a, a really negative relationship and it still is, you know, I love her. She but it's still definitely a strained thing because she, she always tries to make me feel guilty. Um, mm. I have, um, my, my legs are very tattooed and, uh, there, there was one point she told me that, you know, I embarrass everyone, in my family and I'm a disappointment. I make everyone uncomfortable and my sister-in-laws don't want me around <laughs> their kids and, you know, just, just stuff like that where she's trying to make me feel guilty, but I just had to, get away, you know? Um, and that's why I left when I was 16. I, I just didn't want to be around that anymore. And, and even now, you know, I, I see my mom, uh, maybe four times a year and I cap it off to about two hours. Um, and I make sure that there's a lot of people there when I'm, when I'm there, she's the only one that ever really gets mean about it. And my family, I'm, I'm really lucky in that way. My, my siblings are a little more in tune with reality, not all the way, but a, a lot more than, and then other people. Um, but it's just, I just, I don't know. I think I had to kind of write them off. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy that you believe this. This is crazy that you're trying to force this on me. And you're trying to say that it's, you know, commandment that I have to give 10% of my earnings to the church. Like, hell no, no. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, I already pay enough taxes. <laughs> I work too hard. No, like it's my money. Yeah, it. girl. Thank yes. you very much. Well, I mean, um, so to recap though, so for uh, people listening, I just want, I want to be clear what you did, Jenna, because I think it's, a, it's first of all, miraculous that at such a young age, you knew you had an intuition at, at 12, you said, right? Uh, like, Hey, yeah. so, something's weird. I don't like this. And you stuck to that intuition. And by the time you're 16, you were like, I'm out. And I think so many of us who grow up in an environment that we're not cool with, you know, you, it, because everyone else is drinking the Kool-Aid, you think, well, surely I must be the, the fucked up one here or what's happening. Like, so you listened to your instinct and then you got the fuck out. You distanced yourself from 
the environment. And then when you do see the people who cause you anxiety, upsetness, you fortify that, right? Like you, you have people around you. So there's not just you and your mother and she can't just abuse you like flat out. So for people listening, like this is how you deal with toxic parents or with people that don't make you feel good. So I just want to commend you that that's like, took me like 40 years to figure this shit out and you're doing it at 26. (laughs) So that's amazing. That's, yeah, I mean, and, and for that, there's definitely, like, other factors that went into it. I think, you know, I, I really thought about this since we've been emailing back and forth, and I think the, the number one thing that, that set me over, like, this is not for me, this is not where I want to be, is the, the culture around when there's any kind of sexual abuse or rape, they have this victim-shaming mentality, Um, and you know, I live in Utah, um, I'm very familiar with BYU and all the things that go on in that campus. And there's consistently every year, multiple rapes on campus. Mm. And it's always, well, what was she wearing? And why was she walking alone at night? You know, and they're always shifting that blame and, and then seeing the backlash of how those women are impacting their, their church friends are no longer, you know, some of them are there. But a lot of them just, oh, well, you're not a virgin anymore. And you're a terrible person now because you let this happen. Um, and, and that was the biggest thing that was just mm. like, this is, this is just so disgusting. This is just so wrong. Um, I, I, I just, I can't, yeah. I can't handle that. That's totally wrong. Really sad. Not cool, dude. Um, so how are you, how are you adjusting to your life now? So what, what are things that you do to keep yourself, um, happy and sane and like, how do you deal with it? I guess is what I'm asking. Um, a lot of things I've been doing therapy, um, pretty, pretty consistently for six years. Okay, girl, Uh, get your life good. I, I, (laughs) yeah, I do. Utah's beautiful. There's a lot of just amazing hiking. And so I like to try, challenge myself to do that at least once a week. Doesn't always happen, but you know, when I do, I do feel a lot more in tune with myself and with nature and, and reset a little bit. Um, I do yoga, try and do that a little bit in the mornings. And then I've been doing like alternative treatments, like, um, rapid eye therapy type things that are just more, not a religious thing, but a spiritual, like light, love, energy, healing thing versus setting it to just one religion type thing. Um, and then just finding things that are positive and uplifting to listen to on my you know, drive to work or at work when I'm having a hard day or whatever. Um, you know, it works sometimes, not all the time, but you know, nothing's, nothing's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Because I find that what you allow into your mind, I think it's really important what you listen to, what you watch. Um, I know, you know, there are just certain things I won't allow into my consciousness and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I watch intelligent stuff all the time, but if if I I can't, that's why I can't watch murder shows and stuff. And I'm like, I I don't even want that. I don't even want that in my brain, dude, you know, cause it it stays, it, it it affects you, affects your mood. It does. And it's so crazy how those little things will seep into your, your dreams sometimes. And you're like, yeah, what? (laughs) <laughs> so, so, so you work with your brother and you're kind of like, you're still involved with your family, which is amazing that you can stay separate, but still maintain your, um, you know, your relationships. And I think that's really commendable. That's, that's so hard to do. Is, is that a struggle for you? Sometimes it is. Um, it's more, he's kind of an idiot than, than an actual, you know, like, <laughs> 
any issue with uh, religion type thing, but he, it's a little different with him because he is, you know, 13 years older than me, and so it's not the same with my other siblings where I actually grew up with him. Um, I have very few childhood memories with him there because he's, you know, so much older. And so I think that definitely helps change it. But I, you know, I do, I am really lucky that my other siblings are very understanding and loving people. And they're, I would say, for the most part, a lot of the Mormon culture is a lot just judgmental and they are not in that. Um, They're just, truly genuine loving people and you know that's that's what makes the difference Um, because if they were you know like my mom all the time I would not you know it would be the same type situation four times a year a couple hours at a time um (laughs) but yeah I'm just I'm just lucky with them (laughs) well that's awesome so (laughs) I'm gonna I know you're at work so I'm gonna let you uh go in a minute but I just if anybody's listening that has a story similar to Jenna's Jenna, is there anything that you would like to say to those people listening right now about maybe wanting to get out of a, of a situation, that's, that's something that you grew up in like this, or, or is there anything you want to say to people to help them? Just do whatever seems true to you, because it, it really your religious beliefs or lack thereof, your, your morals are not based on your religion, regardless what anyone tells you. Do what feels good to you and... What makes you happy versus sitting in three hours of church and hating every second of your life and, you know, just just do you. <laughs> do you, boo. I love it. I love it. Yeah, because I think so many people, you know, I, I was raised Christian, Catholic, whatever, and it is so deep inside of you, the indoctrination, that stuff. And, and if, especially if you're told your whole life, like, hey, you can't have morality unless you're in this religion, then that's a real life crisis for somebody who's like, wait a minute. Okay. I don't know if I can do this. So anyway, I, thank you so much, uh, Jenna. I really appreciate you talking with us. And uh, can people email in questions for you? Oh, sure. Okay. So you guys can email me. That's deeprowpodcast at gmail.com. I will forward anything to Jenna and, um, and yeah, she'll take a look. So thank you, dude, so much. I really appreciate it. Um, any final thoughts, final words? Um, I think, I think that's it for now, but let me ask you <laughs> questions and thanks for having me on. Oh my show. God. Thank you so much, dude. You did, uh, so great. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye, sweetie. Bye. All right. There you have it. That was Jenna the Mormon. Thanks, Jenna, for talking uh, to me. I hope that was helpful for some of you. I learned a lot. And uh, yeah, email me if you have any questions, concerns, stuff you want to hear about. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And get your life. (laughs) Get it, dog. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with with Yeah. 
It's Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.